Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. Well, here we go again. Israel is preparing to have its fifth election in three and a half years. If a democracy is defined as a place where the government is chosen in free elections, in which all the citizens are entitled to vote, then Israel can be defined as a super-democracy. The problem is that too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. The upcoming elections, which are scheduled for October, would be Israel's 25th Knesset elections in the 74 years of the existence of the state. What is interesting is that 11 of the 25 elections have taken place in the last 26 years, going back to 1996. Israel has had elections on the average of every 2.4 years. The problem that elections bring out the worst in political parties and politicians. Election campaigns accentuate divisions and put one sector of the population against the other. When elections are far apart, they provide time to heal from one divisive campaign to the next. When elections are held too frequently, there isn't time to mend differences. If you emphasize divisions too often, there isn't enough time to mend the divisions and return to some form of normal. If the political parties and the politicians emphasize division and how bad the others are, and there isn't time to mend the divisions, the people remain divided. Elections are a form of sickness that the country must find time to recover from and then return to normal. The present government in Israel showed that ideological differences could be overcome to allow the country to move forward. It's a lesson in democracy, and let's hope that the spirit remains. I'll be back after the break. How did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show.
Hello again, Jay Shapiro here. In this first part of the program, I want to touch upon a number of topics that don't get big headlines, but they appear in the local news. And they are of interest because they're quite different and they reflect a different kind of Israel than the one I came to live in 50 years ago. The world has changed quite a bit. The first um, article has to do what's, with what's called Pride Month. Tolerance for the other is not a particular Israeli attribute, though many people in the population are live and let live kinds of people. But probably just as many are prejudiced against others for all kinds of reasons, political reasons, religious reasons, ethnic reasons, or the newest thing is sexual orientation. For all that, there has been what President Isaac Herzog terms a revolutionary change and the attitude of Israeli society toward members of the LGBTQ community. By the way, there's others who write LGBTQ+. I'm not quite sure what that means. Our President Herzog voiced his opinion last week when he received what's called the Annual Pride Index, which measures municipal attitudes towards and services for members of the gay community. This year, a record number of municipalities, 52, have made acceptance of the other, including gays, a priority in the quest for city harmony. Preparation of the Pride Index entailed 30 questions in five categories. The question at the top of the list was whether the municipality was prepared to accept same-sex couples and to re-register them as such. Another important question was in the realm of social and psychological services. Many gay people find it difficult to come out of the closet, and when they do, some are in need of therapy especially if hassled because of their sexual orientation. It is essential in such cases for municipalities to have adequately trained social workers and psychologists. On receiving the index, President Herzog commented that societal changes take time, but he was pleased to see that Israeli society has become much more tolerant and accepting than in bygone years. He congratulated the organization on its impressive accomplishments as individuals and as a community. But the president also cautioned, we all still have a long way to go, in order to rid ourselves of prejudice and bias. President Herzog further stressed the importance of getting to root of the problem, which is a hurtful attitude, and to begin advancing a dialogue on rights that will enable full coexistence. It turns out there is an LGBTQ association here in Israel, and the president, 
of that association said that members of the gay community can be found all over the country and in all social and demographic circles, including political ones. The community will continue to fight for its rights to live in safety and equality, both of which are still uncertain in many areas. He also pledged that the community would never bow to the will of the extremists and would continue to, to shine the torch of tolerance. So that is a news item that I think the founders of Israel, people like Golda Meir, I think they would be rather shocked at this kind of thing. There are many people who I assume think that the fact that we have an LGBT community really recognize the president of the state shows how normal Israel has become. It's like other, other countries. As a matter of fact, when I just said that statement, I, uh, I hesitated to use the word normal because I don't know what normal means anymore. So I guess if Israel has an LGBT plus community, it is now a normal nation. I guess that's what the original pioneers would have made would have made them very, very happy. Along the same lines, by the way, I note another article in the paper that I think would have made the founders of Israel uh, kind of wonder what they've created. Who knows? But uh, the article has, has to do about the annual Jerusalem slut walk. And what it is, is women uh, uh, march in Jerusalem uh, against violence against women. The slut walk is an international movement, and many believe that the march in Jerusalem to be different from other cities, because Jerusalem has a unique, unique makeup it's easy to see why this may be the case. As the crowds gathered for the event, it included religious women in head coverings and knee-length skirts. They mingled with girls in shorts and vests, all coming together in support of the same message, which is male violence is not caused by how the victim dresses. This, this uh, slut walk parade it set out from Davidka Square in the heart of town, and the procession made its way through the streets of Jerusalem's town center with drums beating, accompanied by chants and cries of the attendee, attendees. <coughs> this event protests violence against women. <coughs> it's a global movement. The first slut walk was held in 2011 in Canada after a police official said that women should avoid dressing like sluts if they do not want to be victims of sexual violence. In Hebrew, the event is known as Tzadat HaMufkarot, and the word Mufkarot chosen for its double meaning. It means both slut and abandon, abandonment. The theme of abandonment features prominently throughout the event, with many people either holding signs or shouting chants relating to what they say is the failure of both the government and the police to come to adequately addressing violence against women. So Israel is now another step in its normalization. 
Again, I wonder what the founders of this state would have thought, but I guess this is the, the um, this is the definition of or normal. Things that were considered abnormal a few years ago in my own time, my own lifetime, are now normal, and they, it's reflected in these kinds of things like the slut walk in Jerusalem, which makes Israel a step forward and becoming a normal country. I pass that off without any uh, any comment on uh, what I think about it. I, but it's news, and because it's news, it doesn't get into the headlines. I look for this kind of thing so that I can share it with the listeners to show what's happening in Israel. So I guess we can say Israel is becoming more normal because it's getting more uh, like other nations in which what was once considered not normal when I was a kid is now normal. So uh, I pass along this information to the listeners for their own evaluation and for what it is worth. By the way, since I'm on this topic already, I'll uh, I'll bring some other interesting information. Uh, The Pew Research has uh, done work and shows that attitudes toward LGBTQ have evolved to be more tolerant and much over the world, uh, much of the world over the last decade. But interestingly enough, there has been no progress whatsoever in this direction in the Palestinian territories. It's the um, the. Uh, there are people calling for Israel's destruction, which is interesting, but Palestinians legally and socially persecute their own LGBTQ community. Not only are there atrocious laws against these kind of people in the West Bank and Gaza, the social attitudes are even larger, deeply embedded homophobia rampant in the culture of the Arab community. According to Pew Research, 93% of the Palestinian population is completely opposed to homosexuality, a percentage among the highest in the world. Palestinian has also been named by For- Palestine has been named by Forbes as one of the worst countries in the world for LGBTQ. So uh, it's very interesting that the world is accepting LGBTQ and so forth. Israel is keeping up with the world's new standards, but the uh, Palestinian Authority overwhelmingly, over 93%, just don't go along with what's happening in the world. So uh, interesting, many Palestinians flee to Israel due to the fact they are gay, and they feel more at home in Tel Aviv than they do in Gaza. Interesting. I'll be back after the break. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 
This is Shai Bentecohen. Each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany is but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel. Phantom Nation, every Monday. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. I want to uh, discuss a little bit a subject that uh, has become uh, public again or got a lot of headlines, and that has to do with women serving in combat units in the Israeli army. Women, in 1949, Israel's army became the first in the world to introduce mandatory military service for both men and women. But shortly afterward, women were barred from combat positions. Now, it's interesting, by the way, I have a granddaughter now who's a major in the Army, and several other my granddaughters have served in the Army. Uh, so I think about uh, altogether about uh, four or five of my granddaughters have served in the Army, not in combat positions. My daughter, who's a major, serves at the headquarters in Tel Aviv. I don't know what she does. It's all secret. But in other words, she's using her mind. The fact that she's a female is immaterial. At any rate, women have fought for years to have the combat doors open once again for them. Since 2000, the Israeli Defense Forces began to allow women into positions in combat units. A committee studied this and said that it integrated many lessons learned by the military over the years, including from the pilot program of having women in the armored corps. Uh, women served in an estimated 88% of the positions in the Israeli army, and the military has seen a significant increase of women drafted into units in the Navy, the Home Front Command, Artillery Corps, military police, and co-ed combat units. There are two uh, units that uh, are defend the border. One's called Karakau and the other's called Badalas. But these are border defense battalions. According to data released by the military, there's been an almost 20% increase in women serving in combat units. However, there were very elite units, one's called Sayeret Matkal, that's an army commando unit that goes behind enemy lines. There is a naval commando unit called Sayeret 13, and the Air Force has something called Shaldag. It's a special force unit, but these will remain closed to women. The, uh, the Army's Commando Brigade and the Israel Navy Submarine Unit 
will remain closed to women. Now, a committee just studied this, uh, the, the, um, the situation about women in the army under pressure. As women continue to battle the military to open more combat roles in elite units, the Israeli army announced last week they'll not be able to serve in all combat units or positions despite the opening of some additional units once closed to women. The army statement said the following, the Israel Defense Force is the People's Army, which operates first and foremost professionally and in accordance with the operational requirements on the battlefield for the realization of its mission and operational missions in defending the state of Israel, its citizens, and its borders. This is what the Army said in a statement. Now, the announcement comes as the military, the Army, submitted a response to a petition to the High Court of Justice by some female soldiers calling for equal opportunity to serve in frontline units. The Army gave its answer to the High Court, along with the recommendations and conclusions of a two-year-long study regarding a petition by four teenage women who called on the High Court to force the Army to allow all potential recruits to try out for elite units regardless of their gender. The committee was composed of six men and two women, and they studied a number of factors, including physiological and medical considerations, human resources planning, how the women would try out for the units, how it would affect the military's command structure going forward, how it would affect reserve service, how to have co-ed service while maintaining propriety. That's an interesting word, propriety. The uh, military said it was the most in-depth and comprehensive study conducted by the Israeli army in the past 20 years to examine each of the combat roles that had not been open to women. They analyzed the physiological characteristics of women and women's ability to cope with intense physical activity like those required during combat and war. The, uh, and what could happen, for example, during a prolonged operational mission. It did not compromise the operational requirements of combat units and, the, and the, due to the need to carry heavy loads of more than 40 kilograms, that's like 100 pounds, for long distances during the war, the Medical Corps formulated basic threshold physical requirements for women who want to join a combat unit. For example, I found this very interesting, by the way. For example, women who want to serve in elite units need to weigh at least 78 kilograms, be at least 1.66 meters tall. Those who want to join combat infantry units must weigh at least 67, weigh at least 67 kilo and be at least 1.64 meters tall. Those who want to join the Armored Corps must weigh at least 60 kilograms and be at least 1.65 meters tall. In other words, this committee said, spent two years really studying how women can serve in combat units. And they made recommendations 
And they made this to the chief of staff, who then ordered that as long as a woman fits the requirements set out by the team, along with the operational requirements of the role, the positions will be open to women. The um, So the... Um, the military also said it would be, begin pilot programs to study women serving as sappers and other positions as drivers in combat-related transportation roles. There, the truth of the matter is, according to the report, the military believes there are dozens of potential female recruits who meet the physical threshold and the psychological threshold to serve in these tough positions but there are likely far fewer who would meet the requirements necessary to serve in the really elite combat units. And the, the, the Army said, and I quote, the Army's mission is to protect the state of Israel, fulfill its operational missions, are the leading values in examining this significant issue. The Army is the people's army, and as part of that, it allows for meaningful service to everyone. But first and foremost, it is committed to making professional, operational, and matter-of-fact decision. So, so this petition gives the military an opportunity to examine the complex and important issue. Serious staff work was carried out to meet all the missions in accordance with the characteristics of the battlefield. So the important thing is professional considerations and the way the battlefield really really exists. The most important factor in the committee's decision was the professional consideration of the military and they examined physiological ability, suitability for the components of the role, maintaining the health of the fighters, since the overall injury rate for women, it turns out, is higher than in men. So there's big responsibility here, and the Army will continue to maintain its unique character as a people's army. And the, um, the Defense Service Law, by the way, says every man and woman has the right to serve in any position in the military unless the inherent nature of the position requires otherwise. So it's it's very interesting because one of the problems we have, and I know this, uh, I, I myself have served in the Army, particularly uh, uh, in positions, frontline positions and uh, combat positions, uh, a lot of, um, for example, yeshiva boys and religious male uh, males serve in the Army, and you don't really want to be in a, the um, uncomfortable position of having to share a um, a uh, foxhole with a woman because uh, not not because of the sexual attraction but rather the fact that physically you, you don't uh, p- people have needs physical needs and you don't necessarily want to have to perform these physical needs in the presence of people of the opposite sex i think the listeners know what i mean so it's it's uh, it's difficult. I, I myself have served with women, but they've been primarily in secretarial positions and even some drivers. But you don't you don't spend the night in a foxhole or in a front line uh, with a woman. And for the religious soldiers, this is really a challenge. 
and the yeshiva head are very worried about the army's decisions. Uh, I'll be back. I just wanted to clear this with the listeners and tell them what it's all about. I'll be back after the break. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. In this segment at a program, I want to do what I like to call under the radar. These are news items, a number of them, that uh, don't get big headlines. Even if they appear in the paper, they might be way back in the back, page six or page seven. But they describe things that are happening to Israel, and they give color to the news. They're not related. The first item uh, was a newspaper on uh, Monday, discussed the weekend. It said the following. Soldiers shot and killed a Palestinian man who was trying to sabotage sabotage the security barrier near Kalkilia on Sunday morning. Kalkilia is a town uh, in the West Bank, right next to the city of uh, Kvarsaba. It's a town that I used to go through every day on my way to work. On Saturday, another news item, on Saturday, a Palestinian man infiltrated an army base close to Beit El, north of Ramallah, and walked around freely before being arrested. The, the army believes the suspect had jumped off the roof of a building close to the Ezra base. The, also, the army arrested eight suspects in the West Bank over the weekend for involvement in terrorist activity. Four suspects were were detained in a refugee camp at a village near Bethlehem. Security forces also detained a wanted man in the village of Barta'a near Jenin. As the force left the village, 10 Palestinians suspected of attempting to cross into Israel illegally were detained for questioning. A planned increase in entry permits for Gaza workers was suspended following the firing of a rocket in Israel, which shattered a two-month lull. The coordinator of government activities in the territories last week said an additional 2,000 entry permits into Israel would be granted to Palestinian residents. So it's very interesting. This is, I guess you could call this an average weekend in Israel. It's something that doesn't get into the headlines but what it shows is that our security forces are working around the clock and and coming across all kinds of suspicious per, uh, persons 
And uh, it, we are safe here in Israel because of these activities by our defense forces. And I wanted to bring that up. So if you look in the paper every week, practically, you see this kind of stuff that doesn't get into the headlines. The next item I want to discuss has, discuss has to do with conversion. Uh, again, I'm not an expert in the field. There are a lot of arguments, but uh, I came across some news items. I want to share them with the listeners. The state-recognized conversions are controlled by the chief rabbinate, which employs very stringent rules for conversion applicants. The current deputy religious services minister is a man named Matan Kahana. He used to be a fighter pilot, by the way, and now he's the deputy religious services minister. And he proposed legislation that was approved by the Knesset that would attempt to cope with the growing population of close to half a million halachically labeled non-Jews in Israel. In other words, there are half a million people in the country of seven million Jews. There's a half a million people who are not considered Jews by religious law, halachic law. So the... Um, Deputy Religious Service Minister came up with a bill to make it easier for these people to become Jewish. The bill, which was criticized by the two chief rabbis, is is backed by some leading religious Zionist rabbis and will allow regional and municipal rabbis to perform conversions. In other words, at the moment, conversions are done by a central rabbinate, and this bill would allow regional and municipal rabbis to perform conversions. In the past, many applicants had given up their plans for conversion after discovering that the requirements were too stringent. Those who decided to continue the process of conversion had a pledge they'd be Orthodox Jews. Now, there's an organization called Hashkacha Pratit, and the head of it, a Rabbi Aaron Leibowitz, writes that more lenient positions exist, even with mainstream orthodoxy. Now, Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, who passed away a few years ago, was the chief uh, uh, Sephardi rabbi, and uh, he said that in most cases, a declaration of Jewish status is all that's required of new immigrants, and investigations are not halachically required. Soon after his retirement as the chief Sephardic rabbi, he was the rabbi for 10 years, from 1973 to 1983, Rabbi Avadia Yosef witnessed the opening of the borders of the former Soviet Union. Close to a million immigrants arrived in Israel, eligible for Israeli citizenship under the law of return, due patrilineal Jewish descent, or married to a Jew. In other words, if they they could show that your grandparents were Jewish, that was enough. The situation of the Soviet Jews was similar to that of the Holocaust survivors arriving in Israel after World War II. They had no documentation to confirm that they were Jewish. The Knesset at that time approved amendments to the law of return and made second and third generations eligible to become Israeli citizens. Now, the problem is, by not granting the status of a Jew to the new immigrants, The implication would be intermarriage between non-Jews and Jews, which would result in the creation of books of genealogy, 
we'd have to start keeping records of who's Jewish. And that is what Rabbi Yosef wanted to avoid. And therefore, only those whose lineage was doubtful were investigated. Because of changing circumstances today, Rabbi Yosef would likely find a less lenient approach. But it, we, we have to accept credible declarations of a Jewish descent without investigations. By the way, previous rabbis followed the same as Rabbi Avadia Yosef. There was a Rabbi Isaac Herzog, the father of the president. He was the chief rabbi from 1936 to 1959, and the Sephardic chief rabbi named Ben Zion Uziel, they dealt with this problem, especially after the Second World War, and they were very compassionate, particularly toward Holocaust survivors. Rabbi uh, Ashkenazic Chief Rabbi Unterman and Sephardic Chief Rabbi Nisim served from 1964 to 1972 were also known for their leniency in granting Jewish status. And of course, the famous Rabbi Shlomo Gorin, who served alongside Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, will always be remembered because of his contribution to the military by establishing conversion courts for non-Jewish soldiers or those whose Judaism was in doubt. Rabbi Gordon is known, is known for his courage and daring to stand with other great rabbis of the past who decided that in times of stress, or when a majority is secular, in order to avoid intermarriage, it is sufficient that the convert commit to having a kosher home and observe Jewish traditions. They don't have to said they'll be orthodox. There's also a Rabbi Eliezer Malamed is very active today. He's the rabbi of a community in the, in the West Bank called Habracha. He ruled that conversion could be considered valid even if the convert did not intend to be orthodox. His policy of being supportive as well as showing empathy and kindness toward the convert will eventually lead this convert, we hope, to be a more observant Jew. The conversion process requires acceptance of a religious lifestyle. However, as we have learned from previous generations, there have always been great rabbis who found ways to be more lenient in acceptance of converts. And since Israel is a small country, as I said, we have a half a million people who are really non-Jews. We really have to do something about it. And uh, so that's why I brought this up. The next topic is related to something I said in a previous segment of the program about the women serving in the army. A, uh, a woman colonel named Weiss was promoted to serve as a brigade commander in an, an artillery brigade last week. She was the first woman in the history of the Israeli army to serve in such a role. She was promoted to the rank of colonel and will serve as commander of the 99th Division Artillery Brigade, as well as an artillery unit at the military's Urban Warfare Training Center. She's the first woman of this rank to serve as a, as a combat officer in the artillery. Back in 2017, she was the first woman to become a battalion commander 
in the artillery corps. So she, uh, what their job is, by the way, is to gather intelligence before and during operational misses. And uh, she's uh, she's the she was the second Israeli woman ever appointed commander of a combat unit. And it's really something. The although the uh, the army has been integrating more and more women in combat roles, the military said that two weeks weeks ago, as I reported previously. That not all combat units or positions will be open to women, but those who make the grade are going to be recognized. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back next week. Take care of yourselves. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.